Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. All right, guys, welcome back. Let's pray that this SD card works. I'm running mobile. We are going to pick up with man all the excitement from this uh on this hunt series so if you didn't catch the previous episode and honestly i can't um remember 100 percent what i had on what i i never remember what i talked about um i hit record you know i obviously know what i'm gonna say as i'm recording it and then i forget it pretty quick um i rarely go back well let me rephrase that. I never go back and listen to episodes. And so when I have an episode that I record and it's a week or two or three before I post it, I, I don't remember 100% what's on there. So I'm pretty sure I explained grabbing a first come first serve Nevada deer tag. I don't, I don't remember if I explained what unit, but needless to say, it's a it's a very good unit in Nevada. So um, archery tag, not 100% what I was, you know, necessarily looking for. I was maybe hoping to wait for um, a muzzleloader or a rifle tag later in the year because I've had, you know, some work stuff that I'll explain. But, man, when you especially these days with tags like this, when one's sitting there in your cart, you just can't look a gift horse in the mouth. So I jumped all over it. I'm going to make it happen. So that was about two weeks ago. Yeah. Almost to the day, two weeks ago from when I picked up that tag. So since then, well, the day I picked that tag up, I still did not have my bow. I think I explained that maybe in the last episode. And that tag opened. It's already been open for a week. It opened on the 10th. It's now the 17th. So it's been open a week and a day. That would probably stress a lot of guys out. I was fairly confident that if I could get the bow in my hands, I would be able to get it set up and felt 100% confident, you know, with it to go hunt in the field. And in the last two weeks, that's exactly what's happened. So I wanna go through getting a bow in a week, getting it set up, tuning it, and what I kind of went through to do that. you know, real quick, logistics-wise, just because I've kind of mentioned it, I picked that tag up on whatever day it was, the second or the third. I was already committed to a work trip down in New Mexico where 
I needed to either be there basically the first week of the hunt or I needed to show up after the hunt had been opened a week and work, you know, the, the New Mexico hunt after that. At first, I was like thinking that I would want to go hunt first so that I could get down there opening day. And then I, the thought hit me that if I flip-flop that and I go do my New Mexico, my work trip first, because I kind of had the option to either go work the first or the second wave of our uh, New Mexico trip. If I went and worked the first wave, then went hunting, even though I would be showing up to this hunt a week after it opened, um, I was not worried about that, and I'll explain why. But if I was to tag out now earlier than, you know, the last day, I'm packing up and I go home and I see mama faster and I help, you know, I'm back living the family life faster. So not trying to say that it was a, you know, such a, an unselfish decision necessarily because I have my reasons for what I did, but, you know, that was something that helped. So why was I okay hunting this a week after it opened? Hunting opening day, opening days of hunts generally, I think is overrated. Now, certain times that's not true, certain times that's very true. Generally, I think it's overrated. Everyone, not everyone, but a lot of hunters feel like if they miss opening day, there's just no chance. And the more that I do this and the more guys the serious guys that I know that get it done, I'm amazed at how often they don't hunt the opening day. They purposely skip it sometimes. Um, for one obvious reason is the pressure, right? Majority of hunters, if they have three to seven days of vacation, guess when they're gonna take it, especially on an early season bow hunt like this they're going to, if, you know, if it's a month long season, they're going to hunt the first three to seven days and then they're either going to tag out or they're going to go home. And that will alleviate a lot of pressure just from showing up a week later. Um, it's still an early season. You know, the, the dates here are crucial. If this was, um, you know, I don't know, uh, mid-September, this would be a different story, right? I would try to show up. If this hunt opened September 10th and went through the end of the month, I would try to show up the first week simply because the, the more time goes by and the more, ooh, I've got a trailer that is fish tailing on me pretty bad here. Sorry, I got a lot going on. You guys are definitely my number one priority. <laughs> um, Again, September, let's say a September 10th opener, um, I would try to be there first day because um, the more time that ticks by, the more chance a buck has a rub in his velvet. And as soon as bucks rub their velvet, they seem to disappear, you know, if we're talking high country, Colorado or whatever. But this is not that case. This is early, early August. And 
the deer aren't going to be doing much different than they're doing August 10th than they are on the 17th. So, you know, the other thing is this hunt just generally doesn't, there's not a lot of people. Um, there's very, very few tags. Uh, Nevada, I think one nice thing is they don't purposely, it doesn't seem like it at least, they don't purposely overlap some of their hunt dates. Like drives me nuts how Colorado, you can show up September 10th for a muzzleloader hunt and have August bow hunters, or, or you can have September 2nd bow hunt that opened. You can have a, a, a archery. So you could show up September 10th and you could have a muzzleloader hunter, a muzzleloader deer, a muzzleloader elk, a archery elk and an archery deer hunter all in the same mountain at the same time. And that just drives me nuts. Nevada, the, the archery elk hunt doesn't even open for another, I think 10 days, probably the 26 or something. And so there's really not much else going on out here and very few tags. So I just wasn't that worried about not showing up opening day for those reasons. Um, so that was that. I went, I've, I've been down New Mexico, worked our class um, that we do down there and drove my own vehicle, drove, I feel like I've driven across every state in the West, but, um, and now I'm heading for one more for Nevada. So packed up, heading there. So, all right, let's back up and chat how I got this bow tuned and what I'm using and stuff like that. So Soon as I picked that tag up, I told you I had no bow. I've had one on order for a long time since first part of February. And you know, I wasn't, before this tag popped up, I was a little bit, you know, I was kind of getting frustrated. Like, man, this is dragged on. I don't know what that is, six, seven months or whatever. You know, and I'd send an email or something like, hey, just don't forget about my bow kind of thing. Yeah, we'll let you know when it ships. Well, all of a sudden the heat got turned up. And so I make a phone call um, and, and did everything I could, which ended up, all I had to do was switch the color pattern. I couldn't have cared less. I told, I told them I would shoot a pink bow if I had to. So they still got me an RX-5 Ultra, 80 pounds, obviously right-handed. I just had to switch from wilderness camo or wilderness green to buckskin tan or whatever couldn't care less talked him into overnighting it and so within I don't want to say 24 hours but it was within 36 hours at least I had simultaneously a, a bow and my mule deer tag sitting on my front porch when I got home <laughs> so um, again that might stress some guys out or in, in another way to look at it is it might not stress some guys out that should be that should be stressed about setting a bow up in a week because frankly most guys don't have any business doing that especially where I was the one setting it up um, you know most if you're just the guy that is walking into a bow shop you should not be having a I mean either way um, doesn't matter but that just tells me you're probably not a guy that has the skill set to set up a bow and have the shooting capability. And, you know, and again, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. I'm just saying I've been down, 
like I've done this a few times. Um, I've set some bows up, you know, and I'm confident in my shooting ability. I'm confident in uh, my tuning ability and stuff like that. So the very first thing that I did is I had had a set of aftermarket gas uh, GAS bow strings waiting for that bow against even my own intuition i switched them i switched the factory strings um i just am so impressed with those gas strings that i uh i want i still wanted to switch them out so i did and i you know it, it went fine i don't regret it there's that's just you know you're you're taking it another level deeper on some tuning stuff that you have to keep an eye on you know now you're your axle to axle or your brace and stuff that may have been set perfect or may may have not been from the factory you've just got to know what you're doing and how to maybe tune that up so but i did i switched out bow strings it went it went just fine i think you know i had to press it one more time and put a couple of twists in a string and it was fine so um, i just know how good those gas bow strings are so and i've got plenty of sh shots in them would have had to put the same amount of shots either way so um got those switched out and then started from there right um the first and the biggest debacle that i over had to overcome was my arrows so luckily i had two different dozen sets of arrows uh i had ordered one originally quite a while back assuming that they would spine out uh they were easton long range four mil 260s and keep in mind 31 inch draw 80 pound bow uh, so it takes a fairly stiff arrow <clears throat> especially because i usually add you know an extra 50 75 grains up front or whatever if i can those are the original arrows i was going to run as it got closer and closer to the bow coming i started worrying that those weren't going to spine out and they technically if you run them through a program like archer's advantage they show just slightly slightly weak with 175 point weight up front which is what i'm running um so i ordered before the bow even came i ordered another dozen um the only other arrow, decent arrow that I could find that has a, a small diameter was a Black Eagle X-Impact 200 spine. Um, and I was super excited to get those and run those. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't weaken them up enough. They were too stiff, uh, which I didn't see coming. Could have probably left an inch longer on the arrow, but no one likes to shoot you know, much longer than they have to wind deflection i guess and stuff like that but anyway it was already done i had cut them i even had i think i had 225 total point weight up front or two yeah 225 or 235 um and that was still too much or not enough to weaken that arrow up so immediately realized within you know again this is all within 24 hours of that bow showing up that I could shoot those X impacts and they were hitting where they were supposed to, but the, the paper tear was uh, 
indicating too stiff. They were not flying well through the air and wasn't ideal. So I had the 260 Eastons. I threw those uh, together. With those, I'm kind of the other way, right? With the X impacts, I'm trying to add as much weight to the front, which made those even heavy for what I normally run a little bit, uh, like five, uh, 580 or 590 is what those were at, I think. And that put me probably around 280 feet per second, which those stats are very nice if you're going to run a fixed blade broadhead. Um, which side note to this whole thing, I never even considered it with this time frame and the amount of time that I had. There are a couple uh, mechanical broadheads that I have used and trust, and it was never a question. Uh, with this short of a time frame, I was not gonna, especially on a mule deer hunt, uh, maybe if it was a, a big bull elk hunt, I would have considered it, but it was just automatic. I was just gonna run a mechanical broadhead. So anyway, once I switched over to those Easton arrows, now I'm trying to run, you know, I don't wanna say as little weight up front, but I'm running enough to make it, you know, heavy enough and as little as I can without over uh, weakening my arrow. So I end up with, uh, oh, and the other thing is I didn't have another set of, you know, aftermarket uh, inserts for those Eastons. And so I was just stuck with running the factories, which um, I had one bend on me. I think I hit like a metal rod in one of my ta targets or something and it bent and you can just, they're, they're good. You can just tell there's, I know there's better out there. I use them. I typically have them, but in this case, time frame, I, it's just what I was going to have to run was the factory little uh, insert outs or that they run. It's okay. It's not great. Um, they're aluminum, first of all. Second of all, the sleeve only covers, you know, maybe a eighth of an inch of the target or the uh, tip of the carbon. So not my favorite, but they'll do in a pinch. Then I threw, I started with 100. I realized I had some 125 mechanicals. And so uh, I threw a 125 on and that's what I ended up going with and worked out pretty well actually like instant bullet holes um, I was able to you know without any additional tuning just center shot my arrow instant bullet holes with the 125 so I think that arrow was about 100 grains less about a 480 I think or 490 maybe <laughs> which <laughs> some of my you know Mark Mark Smith and uh Henry Ferguson, you guys are both, I know what you're thinking, like 480 is already too heavy for you guys, but for me, that's light. I don't know that I, I can't remember the last 400 anything grain arrow that I've shot. So, um, especially out of an 80 pound bow. But again, the reason that I was okay with that or that I'm gonna get away with it, that arrow ended up uh, taping out at like 303 which again is insane, 480 something out of a 400 anything out of an 80 pound bow pushing 303 is just crazy. Um, but where I'm not trying to tune up 
a fixed blade, I'll get, I will I get away with that, right? I'm just running mechanical. So otherwise, I would still be adding weight to that arrow. <clears throat> um, fletched up on the back end with a vein that I've just had and like. Uh, haven't had a chance to, never really ran them uh, as my primary vein on an arrow before, but um, boning heat, the heat veins, and I've got them four fletched straight jig with just the slightest offset. And that was one quick little hurdle also. All my problems on this have been with arrows, not problems, but just hurdles I had to get over. Um, those four millimeter arrows are sensitive. They are, there is not much room for air as far as getting veins to stick and having the, the uh, surface contact area. So, Anyway, I normally even run, like on my five mils, I can run a helical, right helical with an offset. But in this case, I had to go to a straight jig on the Bitsenberger and um, just offset them. You know, probably, they're probably offset one or one and a half degrees maybe. Should be should be fine, they're, they're flying great. So I really like that vein. Um, it was, it's always been with me, it's been between that and the, that AAE. I like the PM23 profile. Um, they both are extremely quiet. That boning heat is stiff, and I, I don't know enough to know why or why not. Is that gonna be better or worse than the AAEs that are relatively soft? But I would imagine it helps. Well, I'm not even gonna say. So someone smarter than me will know, but anyway, they work and I like them. So that's the arrow setup. Uh, you know, the broadheads, if you know, you're not tuned up with the mechanicals, uh, you know, and this will get some hate mail or whatever, but uh, the two that I like are a sever and a rage. Um, and so you can say what you want, or you've had, a, you knew a guy or whatever, I haven't had any problems with either one. I like how both of them work and operate. I just happen to have the Rage and the 125s, and they, so that's what that's what it's going to be. Um, that bow, I will say, that is, and you, it doesn't take long. Someone that's shot enough bows, that bow is the steadiest holding bow that I think I've ever shot. Um, 34 axle, seven inch brace, 80 pound setup. Uh, like I've said before, but I'm running two things. Um, I've never ran a back bar and I'm running a little six inch back bar. And the reason I'm adding that weight or running that is because, you know, if you're familiar with the RX-5 design, they dropped the um, front stabilizer and shorten it up. It's just that little two inch stubby, you know, with the, with the idea that, um, you know, it still stabilizes out about the same distance as a six inch wood that's mounted up under your hand. And then, uh, but you get the advantage of the weight being even lower, which, you know, is supposed to stabilize everything even more and I like I don't know if that's it or if it's just that bow in general but that is absolutely 
what I've noticed. That is the easiest holding bow that I've ever shot. It just finds the pin, oops, the pin finds the, the pin finds the target and, and doesn't work to, to try to leave it. So it's a very nice shooting bow. Um, so all that happened and then it's time to leave. I've got my arrows dialed. I've got my bow tuned for the most part. Uh, the only thing I didn't have yet was a sight tape. And again, I was leaving straight to New Mexico, gonna be working for five or six days and then I was gonna be heading um, straight here. And that might stress some guys out, but again, I, I, I'm fairly confident in what I'm doing here. Um, I had shot a lot, um, about as much as someone can shoot in those in that week, uh, shot while I was working in the evenings. I had my, I had two points of reference on my adjustable, uh, spot hog set to where I just needed to find the exact feet per second that lined up with them and I could slap it on and everything else is going to be calibrated, right? So I had like 20 and 60 dialed. 60 being, you know, two ways to look at it. It's kind of the middle of my typical archery shots, you know. In this case, it might be the ceiling or the max, but, you know, kind of two reference points and one that's out at some distance. So I know, you know, A, how to calibrate to get my feet per second based on that. And then now I've got, you know, I know where my 60 needs to start and I'm going to set that tape in both directions from there so that if it, if it gets off, you know, half, a half of a yard at 80 and a half of a yard down to 20, um, it's just not enough to matter. So, um, I'm planning on keeping my shot distance relatively close for me anyway. And all that being said though, I mean, I was, you know, I was very confidently stacking arrows out to, um, what was I just shooting 80, 75 to 85, you know, and putting them in a pie plate for sure. So I am feeling as confident as I could have expected. And I'm feeling pretty good about this bow setup. Honestly, I'm more concerned about the rust on my stocking skills. It's been two years at least since I've stocked something with a bow and I just know there's gonna be probably some Hopefully not on too big of a buck, but there's gonna be a learning curve there, so. Anyway, came back through Utah, stopped at my sister's last night, pulled off the sight tape, you know, once I got to a computer, printed it, got it put on, and, you know, validated it at some yardages this morning, like I said, and I'm 100% confident in it. So, that's it. I mean, that's, you know, A to Z in two weeks of pulling a bow out of the box to leaving for a hunt, you know, and it consumed, I mean, it consumed almost every free spare moment that I had, right? Like between work and the kids and home life and some chores and all of that traveling. I mean, if I had a spare you know, two hours in the evening, I was working on my bow or calibrating my bow or fletching arrows or refletching arrows or whatever. So, you know, it wasn't like 
you know, a one hour thing and I was ready, it was like, you know, 14 hours probably collectively or whatever. So, but it's done, uh, feeling good. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that that's it. Um, so as of right now, on the way out, I'm probably going to uh, cut this and turn it into its own deal. I wanted to just dive into the kind of the original logistics of this trip and the bow setup mostly. So, well, you know what, let me just add, let me just add some, some general uh, info on, on the hunt and kind of where I'm, what I'm, you know, I'm just driving as we speak. So, um, this unit there is a few places you could do some some light backpacking um a lot of it i'll be honest is just you know drive to a road hike to a ridge glass be back at camp so i'm pulling my old man's camp trailer with a side by side and especially where i'm showing up blind i haven't been scouting at all um I do know the unit. It's one reason that I picked the tag up. I wouldn't have recommended, you know, depending on what you're after. Um, if you're just after a deer hunt, you know, there's a lot of units you could just pick up and go be successful. But, you know, if you're after, if you have an expectation to shoot a mature buck or a certain, you know, whatever, a certain size of buck, you know, I wouldn't recommend doing it this way unless you knew the unit pretty dang well. And I know the unit pretty dang well um been in and around it my whole life multiple people i know that have hunted it and stuff like that so um but my point was initially initial um tactic here is just gonna cover the unit and glass for i'm feeling like maybe up to two days so i've got an evening hunt here that i'll show up for um then a full day tomorrow and then maybe the following morning and i'm hoping that by then i've glassed you know maybe either i found something or i've glassed four different you know key key spots and have a an action plan you know i'll be surprised if i don't find a shooter buck in that four glassing sessions hopefully um, and if not i've kind of got my my whatever plan B, um, an area that I can kind of hike into and just kind of go submerse myself on a mountain and, and attack it that way, you know, kind of go a little more in the trenches and just see what I can turn up by being on the mountain rather than glassing it maybe from the bottom or something like that. So, and then I'll just ride that out. If, if that's where it ends up after a couple of days, um, I'll ride that out through, you know, the next two or three or four days probably after that and then reassess. So the nice thing is I've got, I feel like I've got time um, as much as I'm, as you know, like I said, trying, I will definitely get home as soon as I can. But, you know, I don't want to say this tag is a once in a lifetime because it's, you know, I mean, I just picked it up you guys understand, you know, how I picked it up here, but, um, it is a very, very, very hard tag to draw. And so I'm going to put in as much time as I can get away with. Um, and I feel like I've got that. I can come back in 
first of next week, work for you know a day or two, um, get caught back up, and then maybe come back out the following week. With the understanding that I'm, you know, I had some vacation later on in the month or first of September that I'm probably just going to swap out and I'll stay home. So, you know, at some point, your better half, I got to roll the window down here to get a fly out. Um, or maybe I farted, you guys won't know. <laughs> um, you know, at some point, they they either understand or they, or they, um, or they don't, you know, and you've got to assess your own situation. And um, Jen is the best uh she will she will put the all the responsibility on her shoulders if she needs to if like she is obviously right now and she uh she understands so you know and then I'll try to make it up to her um you know with either going on her hunt or give her a weekend you know where she can get away without the kids or whatever when I get back so Anyway, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, a, you're about caught up. So I don't know that there's much more that I even know or can tell you at this point. Um, just diving in head first, man, I'm going to try to keep you guys updated as much as I can, especially early on here where I may be back and forth from the, the truck and the trailer, um, where I can just give, give updates as I'm, as I'm kind of going. Um, I think that would be pretty cool to, you know, check in every evening or every couple of evenings or something like that. So, um, man, come along, like, let's go, let's go archery, uh, mule deer hunt in Nevada and let's see if we, if I can make it happen. Let's go, uh, man, this is just a roller coaster of all happened in such a short amount of time. And so... Uh, but you know, that's how, uh, when you know, you know, and when you see an opportunity, you got to jump on it. So that's what I'm doing. This, uh, win, lose, or draw, this is, I can say I went for it. Um, so, okay. Follow along and, uh, let's see, see how it goes. See if we can get it done. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.